Good morning. So good to be with you, those joining now with us online. Warmest of welcomes to you as well. We're one. Prior service, the service, those that are involved online, we want to together corporately bring honor and glory to God's name. We're involved in a series since uh, eternity past in 2021 in reality uh, with Psalms. And so we're turning now into Psalm 123. And in Psalm 123, what you and I find is that we are continuing with what are known as uh, songs of ascents. These would have been songs that Jesus would have sung with other pilgrims as they were making their way to Jerusalem, uh, perhaps for Passover, perhaps for Pentecost. And these would be songs that families would sing together on their way, maybe memorized in advance, maybe reflecting upon along the way, applying truth to life. And so you see here, the superscription is a song of ascents of uh, Psalm 123. And now what we find is that the psalmist wants you and me uh, to reflect upon just four verses, which would have meant it would have been very easy for the people that are involved in their pilgrimage to be able to have memorized and to sing together as they walk toward Jerusalem. As they head up the hills, here's what they would have sung out loud with one another. To you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Now he enters into prayer. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. And so in just four verses in this particular psalm, and the prayer is answered in the next psalm, uh, Psalm 124, which we'll get to. But we're going to do what he does in verses 3 and 4. We're going to look to our Lord in prayer. And so, Father, we're giving you all praise. Uh, we praise you for the way in which we've been able to sing praise to you. These songs have drawn out the whole idea of the mercy of God in our longings within our hearts. I thank you, Father, for what you are doing in our midst. Stir us and move us in very great and very powerful ways. Thank you that you are bringing Jacob with us to be part of the pastoral team, in many ways becoming like a principal of an elementary school to all the various students that are involved in this extraordinary congregation. We praise you and thank you for the way in which you are creating a sense of convergence. As phase two nears its completion, the children's wing likewise nearing its completion. And now we have a pastor coming aboard. 
This is not coincidence. This is your divine convergence. And we give you all praise and glory. And Father, likewise, when we look at our lives and we see things that might at first glance look inconvenient to us, out of sorts, may not fit into our plan and our purpose, lo and behold, as time passes, we can see how all things begin to fit together. And we say, that was God. That was God. We couldn't have orchestrated this. We might not have planned it the way in which it's happened. But now, in retrospect, as we look back, that was God. And you've given us the testimony to share of that very fact. And we praise you. So, Father, four verses. And these pilgrims have wearied. They've made their way over the hillsides, upward toward Jerusalem entered through the gates and now realize that there is still more to be done, more life to be lived once getting beyond the gates. So Father, give us insight into these four verses as we explore mercy together this morning. Warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. Praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, he had come to saving faith in Jesus Christ through the extraordinary ministry of the great evangelist George Whitfield in England. Shortly after the age of 23, Mr. Robert Robinson would pen these words. Come thou fount of every blessing. He would go on to challenge you and me with the notion streams of mercy never ceasing. But then over the course of his days and weeks and months, years went by, and uh, well, he began to wander from those streams. And maybe like someone you might know in your own personal circle, became, as Luke the physician puts it in his parable, uh, the prodigal son. Well, God has a way of bringing convergence. It's not coincidence, it's convergence. And so while he was making his way to London, he was seated next to a young woman who was um, well, she was focused upon a particular book on her lap. And, well, she ran across a verse she thought was beautiful and asked him what he thought of it. She read it out loud. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. What do you think of those words, she asked. Swallowing hard with tears rolling down his cheeks, he said, I'm the man who wrote those words. And this is no coincidence. Well, as she continued to minister to him in his point of need, she reassured him that the streams of mercy mentioned in the song that he had penned still flow. Still flow. He was moved. What he found out of that supposed 
moment of coincidence was in reality a point of convergence. And he came back to his first love, the God of mercy, who sent Jesus to die for our sins. These four verses are about the God of mercy. They're about the God who creates convergence out of what we might consider initially coincidence. And through it all, there's no question in retrospect as you look back, God was in it. God's involved. It might have inconvenienced us for a period of time, but now we've got a testimony to share about what God has done for his glory. Four verses. If you tend to be like those that are these pilgrims and these songs were sent, climbing uphill, and you might be a little bit weary, a little tired, but you're focused upon where God's leading. What I want to do is to draw out two significant needs that God addresses here in these verses. And the first comes out of verse 1 and again verse 2, that when you and I, when we find ourselves longing for mercy, on life's journey, I want to begin here by noting the focus that we need to maintain. Now, notice very carefully how this begins. To you, O Lord, to you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens. What I want to do now is to combine this with what he wrote previous. Why in Psalm 121, the psalmist wrote, I lift up my eyes to the hills. And if you've been to Jerusalem, you know we are talking hills and hills and hills. And you might be a little tired from all this hill climbing in your life. And lo and behold, what the psalmist knows is doing for you and what he is doing for me is he's saying, I'm lifting my eyes above the hills. I'm going above and beyond what I penned in Psalm 121. Because now in Psalm 123, and you can see the graduation and development of what he's offering you and offering me, he's made his way through the gates of Jerusalem, having climbed those hills. And now in 123, he offers us as a, an opportunity to adjust our focus in life. To you, I lift up my eyes. O oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. Now what I want to do with you is to realize that in verses 1 and 2, which is our first need being met, he begins with lifting up the eyes. And in verse 2, the end of the first stanza, he ends with the idea, our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Furthermore, he begins with, to you, I lift up my eyes, speaking individually. In verse 2, he ends corporately, our eyes look to the Lord our God. It's almost as if he's saying, as he's gone uphill in the challenges of life, I've kept my focus. And maybe you're going through challenging times in the home, challenging times at work, challenging times with school. And the tendency is to stay focused upon the hills, what the psalmist is now doing is that through a series of graduations, he is allowing us to get beyond the hills of our life experiences and now look above the hills, the one who is the creator of the hills, to you, 
I lift up my eyes. And while the rest of people in the culture are overwhelmed with the challenges of life and the difficulties of, of going uphill day after day after day, here's a psalmist who's able to say to you and say to me, I'm maintaining my focus no matter how wearied I am in my journey uphill. To you I lift up my eyes. I remember a point of time in medical school where I'm having to take a course in ophthalmology, more of an intro type thing, uh, reflecting upon the words of John Stevens, who offers perspective with regard to the whole idea of the eye chart. You ever spend time squinting at an eye chart? He begins his exploration of the eye chart with a simple question. What can you see? And soon, though, the reader understands that things are more complex than simply providing a concrete response to a clear question. He wants to take us from eyesight to insight. It's not just about identifying objects in this world near and far. It's also about why we see, when we see, how clearly we see, and what we understand about the things we see. For as he goes on to say, eye charts are nocturnal creatures. They belong to the dimness of the examining rooms of life. It's an effective way to set up the mood, more so than any other indication of health. How we interpret the information on the chart is something only we control, information only we can provide to the ophthalmologist or the optometrist. That it exists more commonly in the darkness of the room of life. Just a few yards ahead of us, that chart, projected on a wall as we squint from the examining chair and try to interpret the figures, can make its mere presence intimidating. We want to pass the test. It's as if now what the psalmist wants you and me to do on our journey of life is to pass the test. To focus. To look carefully at who God is. To focus. Focus our attention on what God does. To focus. It's as if now this psalmist has ministered to the people saying, I want to take you as you've walked the hillsides and you're tired. I want to take you beyond the eyesight. I want to bring you to insight. To you, I lift up my eyes. This is his personal testimony. Oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens, enthroned in the heavens, the throne room of God. I remember in my master's program, one of my professors, Messianic Jew, Dr. Paul Feinberg, 
His brother also taught in uh, Dr. John Feinberg at my school. And you always knew when Paul was teaching because he had this baritone voice, loud. And uh, when he prayed, you just stopped in the hallways and listened in. Well, Dr. Feinberg, it was not unusual for him to uh, offer a preface before he prayed in his, in his New Testament courses with these words. Since we then have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us draw near with confidence. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, now, what he's done with his eyes focused upon God, he's saying, we are coming to the throne of grace. And it's at the throne of grace that we find mercy, which is what we sung about this morning. Now what the psalmist has done is he has made his way through the hillsides, taking in the scenery, going uphill toward Jerusalem, is that now here in Psalm 123, he rivets the attention of the people, focuses the eyes on the eye chart of life. To you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, the throne of grace, and now, even still using a visual, he makes his way to verse 2, beginning with the word, behold, which is what you do when you are using eyesight, yet insight. Behold, the eyes of the servants look to the hand of the master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. What I want you to be able to capture at this point with me is the eye-hand coordination being used in these verses. A lot like a batter stepping into the box as a very gifted pitcher like a Justin Verlander is about to, to wind up and hurl his fastball toward home plate. What it requires, then, of the batter is eye-hand coordination. Now, what God is doing is that he's drawing out for you and drawing out for me what I will call the eye-hand coordination of life. When you are looking at events and saying, ah, now I see what God is doing. I didn't before, but I do now. Before, it looked like a mess. And now something's been constructed in the midst of all of that. Behold. And so as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, 
And now he's possibly recalling the experiences of the Jews, 70 years of exile in the land of Babylon, were out in the fields for a master who lacked a megaphone to be able to communicate. There would be simply hand movements, hand movements, where he, if he wanted certain servants, most likely the Jews, to work in another field, he would simply make a movement of the hand and they immediately responded to the movements. Now what you and I have to do at this point is what we are exploring, what God is presenting in these verses, is in essence being able to be alert to what I will call the movements of God. Sometimes he moves quickly. Sometimes he moves slowly. There are times where you feel like you're getting no hand movements whatsoever. Next thing you know, there's this flurry of activity. And what we find is that there is this sense of eye-hand coordination. And God is at work taking what some people might consider to be coincidence. But from the divine strategy, it's convergence. Phase two, nearing completion, in the eyes of some might look like coincidence with a pastor of children's ministries coming aboard. But when you are tracking with God's purposes, this is convergence. And what he does at the macro level and the congregational level, he does at the individual level. And now what you need to do is to figure out the eye-hand coordination. What's involved here and what God is doing? Ben Carson, in his book, Gifted Hands, this wise neurosurgeon writes, I became acutely aware of an unusual ability, a divine gift, I believe of extraordinary eye-hand coordination. It's my belief that God gives all gifts, special abilities that we have the privilege of developing to help us serve him and humanity. And for me, the gift of eye-hand coordination has been an invaluable asset in surgery. This gift goes beyond eye-hand coordination, encompassing the ability to understand physical relationships, think three dimensions. Good surgeons must understand the consequences of each action, for they are often not able to see what's happening, to see what's on the other side of the area in which the area they are actually working. And the great physician now, the surgeon is at work, and you and I are looking very carefully. And so you're reading this, and you're pondering the focus that's being given here in these verses. And you are thinking about what God is doing to you. I lift up my eyes, O you, who are enthroned. That's the throne of grace in the heavens. 
And then that visual word. Don't overlook even the smallest of words that might seem insignificant at certain points when you're reading the scripture, the simple behold. Link it, you see, to the next phrase. As the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. Now with this eye-hand coordination, what I want you to see is that he encompasses both genders, male and female. He starts off with the male, maybe out in the fields, looking to the hand of the master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. And then amazingly now, what he does for you, what he does for me, is that he wants us then to apply this to our relationship to God. And so he said, so our eyes. Our eyes look to the Lord, our God, till he has, till he has mercy on us. Be alert to God's movements. Look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. In other words, wait for his timing. You want to rush it. You want him to simply move his hand. But for some purposes, some reasons in life itself, it seems as though what God does is that he slows the hand movements forcing you and forcing me to begin to ask, when? What's next? What's he going to do? Remember when our family was walking the streets of New York City, uh, Joseph, our, our middle son, was about to receive his medical degree. We were heading to... A, 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 place where we were going to have dinner together and I noticed that there was this chess match happening which oftentimes happens you see out on the streets and as I got a little closer I was watching the eye hand coordination the way in which people were gathered around this particular chess match and people were leaning forward attempting to understand what's the next move What you and I have to do is to look carefully for the eye-hand coordinations of God. Try to understand what it is that God is doing. What it is that God wants us to understand. What comes, what comes next? Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. Now he takes the Babylonian experience and lifts it upward, saying, I'm not going to waste my experience. I'm going to invest the experience. He moves up into the heavens and says, So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has, till he has mercy on us, which is what so many of us need 
and so many of us long for, so many of us want, in the eye-hand coordination of the universe that God, you see, has created. Matt Redman. I'll kneel in the dust at the foot of the cross where mercy paid for me, where the wrath I deserve is gone and has passed, your blood has hidden me. Mercy, mercy. As endless as the sea, I'll sing your hallelujah for all eternity. We will lift up the cup and the bread we will break, remembering your love, we were fallen from grace, but you took our shame and nailed it to a cross. Mercy, mercy, as endless as the sea, I'll sing your alleluia for all eternity. Mercy, mercy, as endless as the sea, I'll sing your alleluia for all eternity. And Robert Robinson, it is come thou fount, who nod his head. He gets it, and we get it when we focus, the focus we need to maintain. Verse 1, and again verse 2. For you see, when we find ourselves longing for mercy on life's journey, the focus we need to maintain is described here, found here in these, in these verses. Take a look at what appears next on the screen. It's a natural lead-in you see, to what's going to be appearing along the way. You're looking at verse 1, you're looking at verse 2, and you're thinking about uh, how the Jews had longed for mercy. But if you are walking through the British Museum, you might pause at a particular exhibit, and you say, but what is this all about? What's here? It's known as a clay prism, contains the annals of somebody named Sanashrib. And you see a girl, let's draw it more, do our best. Part of Iraq, which was at one time Babylon. You see, Sanashrib was the leader of the Assyrians. And what he had done was to inscribe in his annals for people of all ages and all times his hatred of the Jews. And so if you're walking through the British Museum, you pause at this point, and while others don't take into account what's here, you do. You understand because you know how archaeology has a way of simply supporting what God's word has offered us. And the taunts and the challenges and the pride of life that have, that have so encompassed uh, so many people's life experiences, they're inscribed there. They're found there. And when you look very carefully, you're able to say, ah, God is reminding people of how he protects and preserves his people. In fact, look at one more scene. And this is another clay prism. It's the Sanasharib cylinder in the British Museum. And there he describes how he scorned and taunted the Jewish population as the northern tribes were being taken into captivity. And God is saying, yep, that's the way it was. But through the challenges of life, 
I continue to maintain my promises, and I continue to protect my people. And Matt Redman says, I will kneel in the dust at the foot of the cross where mercy paid for me. You take a deep breath. That's the focus we need to maintain. But in verses 3 and 4, notice the prayer we need to offer. Because in verse 3, and again now in verse 4, here we find that it says, if this man has, has said, I want to draw you out. Yeah, it's been tough terrain making our way uphill to Jerusalem. But now, even though we're behind the gates, are not beyond the contempt of humanity. And maybe when you get home at the end of a long day, you want to say to yourself, I'm glad that's behind me, but you still have to live with the door being shut and the experiences of life continuing on. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. We've had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Have you ever reached the point when you have said, I've had enough? In verse 3 and in verse 4, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. And then to reiterate, our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease. And we say to ourselves, what do we make of this and how does this in turn relate to modern day life? But then we go to the cross and we go to the one who might be prone to say, I've had enough, but instead says, it is finished. And he endures the cross till he reaches the point of completing the task of dying for your sins, dying for my sins. This is the prayer. This is the focus. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we've had more than enough of contempt. And as, as if uh, that's not enough, he goes on to say, our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the proud, the, con- the contempt of the proud. This is a man of prayer. This is a man of understanding. This is a man who understands the eye-hand coordination of God. Weariness. Three minutes later, Rabbi Eckstein writes with regard to he and Jamie Buckingham making their way to Jerusalem. Three minutes later, we turned another bend. We could see an area with still more lights in front of us. What's that, Jamie asked. That's downtown Jerusalem, I replied. Do you mean to tell me that before 1967, Jordan was so close to Jerusalem It looks like no more than 10 minutes by car from there to downtown Jerusalem. He adds, they're recounting the war 
67. When all of a sudden the driver of the taxi offers his perspectives, I can tell you exactly a former tank commander with the Israeli army, now the driver, says. That suburb you're looking at is eight minutes by tank, about 10 seconds by plane from the heart of Jerusalem. And I shuddered at the reminder of how vulnerable Israel was before the city was reunited in 1967 and how vulnerable we are to this very day. And there's no way Israel should give up that land to the Arabs, Jimmy declared. I don't care if the U.S. policy calls it occupied Arab territory. It would be suicidal for the Jews to jeopardize security by giving it up. Totally irresponsible. And the rabbi says, I sat in silence without responding. What was happening to this new acquaintance of mine? Were those overtones of compassion and sympathy I detected in his voice? The view around us was breathtaking. We made it through the hills. We arrived at Jerusalem, the city of peace, the city that has rarely seen peace. I had, he writes, I had returned home. Now they're home. They've arrived. They have endured the contempt. And now what you find in verse 4 is for them going on to say, our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. And this is a prayer that is being offered by the people once they've arrived in Jerusalem, pondering God's mercy, pondering God's ways, seeing God at work, and through it all, being able to say in their prayer, God is with us. It was a time for prayer. One night during the Civil War in America, a stranger came to Pastor Henry Ward Beecher's home. This night, Mrs. Beecher went to see who it was, the biographer tells us reading from the biography, she found a stranger muffled to the eyes who asked to see the noted pastor known throughout America. Um, but this stranger refused to give his name. And because her husband, the pastor, Pastor Beecher, his life was being continuously threatened during those days of the Civil War, Mrs. Beecher declined to receive this man and she resumed upstairs and told her husband of the man at the door. But we're told, and I love this, Beecher, the pastor, knew no fear. He had no bunker mentality. The writer says he went down, admitted the man, and later when Mr. Beecher went upstairs to join his wife, and she asked who the muffled stranger was, he told her, it was Abraham Lincoln. He's in crisis. He's asking for prayer. And so here you have, out of all this, then when you are keeping your focus, when focus needs to be maintained, the result is the prayer that we need to offer 
in the midst of this prayer, you're saying to yourself, I've had enough. I am just so done with this. But then the psalmist, a lost for his worst echo in your heart. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. And through it all, you look at what's here. And you lift your eyes, not to the hills, but above the hills. And you realize the perfect eye-hand coordination. And the creator of the hills is the designer of your life. Hills and all. Let's stand together. And so, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We need 2020 vision. That eye chart that uh, is thrusted in our direction when we're trying to figure out what is going on. Why did I experience what it is that I am now experiencing? And then we stare at the eye chart and uh, we might squint. But Lord, keep us from getting overly horizontal. We need to go vertical. Gotta lift our eyes above the hills. For to you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens. And for this, we now know everything is okay. And we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.